0: Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Um, every time I say it this morning, uh, I mean every word of it. So I'll say it again. It is great to see your faces uh, very much, um, and it, it, it is great. I'm sitting right there, and we were just singing uh, the the dox or the whatever the the Gloria, No, the doxology. Sorry. I get those mixed up. Um, And hearing, like, Ray Murphy harmonizing right behind me. Like, those things are just... Sorry to point you out. You don't want me to do that. They're wonderful. They're rich. Um, There are riches here um, in this room and represented by in this room. Um, We love you very much. It's good to be back in Alabama. Um, It's good to be, uh, in the last couple of days... In Sylacauga, it's good to be here at Knollwood very much, um, our family. Um, We're going to look at God's Word in Acts chapter 2, and I invite you to turn there. Um, I I will uh, share some stories as we look at God's Word, stories from what we're seeing God doing um, in Monroe, Louisiana. Um, I'll just say... Kind of where we are. I kind of shared some things in Sunday school. Um, we're in that core group phase, um, but we're and we're developing like a child in the womb. And Lord willing, we'll be birthing. I guess you could say launching publicly uh, in October. Um, pray for that. There's still things that need to happen in order for that to happen, and. Um, and the Lord is, is going before us. There's fruit. There's new life in Jesus Christ uh, in the midst of this. There's new gospel community we're seeing, but it's happening in part through your gospel partnership, through your giving, through your praying. And thank you, thank you so much. We, we can't thank you enough. We don't take it for granted. Um, in God's economy, this happens through your praying and through your giving. And so thank you very much. Um, gonna, we're going to look at the Pentecost events in Acts chapter 2. And, um, and by the way, our core group over this since uh, February has been going through the book of Acts because what better place to learn how to live life on mission and, and what it is to plant to do the work of church planting than by the, the pattern that's set before us here in Acts. And, and so I'm, I'm inviting you to kind of join in on what we've been looking at um, as we do this. And before I read uh, the first 13 verses, I want to pray. So let's do that. Father in heaven, as we come before you and we confess it out loud out of our own lips, A few moments ago, when we said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you line up our hearts to what we said? But more than that, would you, Holy Spirit, come down and be with us, be within us. And would you be pleased to use your word on this day in the different things that we bring to the table, the noises inside of our hearts, the dreams, aspirations, the fears, the hurts, and speak to us. Would you do these things in Christ's name? Amen. Um, So Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, um, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia... Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all three, uh, all three, sorry, uh, all <laughs> were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Thus ends the reading of God's Word one more time in our, our lives. I want you to do something. Think of a pivotal event in your life where it has seemed that your whole life has been building up to that moment and converges on that moment. Now, for me, I'll give one example. I distinctly remember asking Laura Beth if she would be my wife, and, and then taking the vows themselves. I had a sense that many other events in my life had been leading up to that moment. Uh, maybe it was a job uh, or a career that changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe it was the moment that you embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. That everything in your past had been building up to that moment. And now all of life was going to be lived in light of this man, Jesus. Pentecost is one of the biggies on the timeline of the Bible, of, of redemptive history where everything that's gone before, all the promises and all the acts of God in the Old Testament, they've been building, they've been building, and now, what we just read, converges at that moment, and then it kind of explodes outward, going forward. It's the beginning of the New Testament, or the beginning of the new covenant. The old is gone, the new has come. And and when we look at this passage... God is taking a lot of aspects that were going on in the Old Testament and he is embedding them into this passage as if to say, here is what I'm doing in the world now. And I'm calling you to be a part of it now, even in 2021. What happened at Pentecost is the ignition of mission that gives us something to sing. And it gives us something to tell. And it gives us something to live. What is it? In order to answer that, I want to look at this passage under kind of three headings. I want to look at the day of Pentecost. You knew it was going to be three, right? I want to look at the day of Pentecost. I want to look at the fire of Pentecost. And then the languages of Pentecost. So the day of pentecost uh, it, it even says it in verse 1 when the day of pentecost arrived what is the day of pentecost unless you've ever really thought about that before well I, and it's not something that I've normally thought about the actual day what was the day about if you went back to the old testament you will see that god mandated three parties <laughs> three feasts Days where all the Israelites would go to Jerusalem. Okay? Now, I'm going to talk about two of them. The first one that we probably have heard about much is Passover. You know, which celebrates Israel being redeemed out of slavery, out of Egypt. and, And it's also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because, you know, you made bread, but you didn't have much time, so you made it very quickly without yeast. Um, or 11, uh, because they had to leave in haste. And that's, we, we hear about that one, all right? Well, seven weeks later, or 50 days, is where you get the word Pentecost. After that is called the Feast of, well, weeks, seven weeks. Also called the Feast of Harvest in Exodus. In Leviticus, this is important, it's called the Day of, of first fruits. Now here's the picture. These people were slaves. They didn't own their own land. Now they have their own land. And now they're able to present so much good stuff. They don't even present unleavened bread. They present good, fluffy leavened bread over the top as if to say God your promises are so over the top not only do we have this we have more to spare because that's how good you've been to us and it was, it was a huge feast it, 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 and by the way I mean think about this in the Old Testament God gives his law and part of his law is I want you to gather and have a feast and I'm commanding you to rejoice it's kind of neat So it was a big party. Now I want you to see what's going on here. The gospel picture is unfolding and converging. The crucifixion of Jesus. The sacrifice of the Lamb of God took place when? During the Passover. Christ dies and he's buried and he rises from the dead and between his resurrection and his ascending to heaven is 40 days he appeared to his disciples for 40 days and then 10 days later is this event 50 days this day of first fruits this day of harvest this day of pentecost what's the harvest that's being celebrated jesus spoke about it it wasn't a harvest of wheat or grain. Look, see, the fields are white for harvest. What, were they, what was he pointing to? People. And not only that, but the very end of Acts chapter 2, or almost the end, it says there were added that day 3,000 souls. It went from like 120 to 3,000 in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the beautiful thing about, to go back to the word first fruits. When you read the New Testament, you'll hear the apostles referring, especially to a the first people in a new region or ethnic group as the firstfruits. In fact, I'll read one verse in 2 Thessalonians. It says, We always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits unto salvation. Now, how... Should this change anything about the way we see things today? I'll just summarize it by what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of ingathering. And we apply that in a couple of ways. On the one hand, it means this. It is a time of God's compassion and love and salvation. For the most unlikely people, and that includes you, right now. What does it mean for you? Or think of a friend of yours. What does it mean for a friend of yours? And it means this because this day has come, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out, you no longer have to bear the weight or the wound of how good or moral you lived or how you have failed or how immoral you have made yourself or how weak that you couldn't handle what has happened. You don't have to bear that weight anymore. You don't have to bear that wound anymore. The Lord Jesus Christ has come for you. He has come in compassion and strength and salvation and mercy to you. That means the time in this Jesus is new life even for you. Whether, you've been, whether you have been a believer in Jesus for many years or you're not even sure where you are right now, I want you to hear that. The time has come. Jesus has come for you. And by the way, that means for anybody else that you can think of, you can never assume that someone is completely closed to Jesus. That's one thing I want us to take away from this the day of Pentecost. The other one is this God has called us to be about a first fruits community. And that's true if you're talking about church planting. Or if you're talking about church renewal or revitalization, Harry Reader, his whole uh, embers to flame ministry, his whole point is, your e- churches need to either be planted or they need to be revitalized. Period. And if it's already been planted, then you're always in need of revitalization. And and in that, we are be, to be about first seeing first fruits. I and my family were called and moved to northeast Louisiana to do the work of what some people call scratch planting or parachute drop planting. Uh, I've now found out that the majority of church plants... Uh, or, beca- or like a mother-daughter church, or there was already a group that wanted, that was interested in planting and starting a church. And then there's a minority, I don't know how big or small the minority, uh, minority it is, to be honest, are those who do what we're doing. <laughs> and But why? It's that we might see new groupings of people. Those who are unchurched maybe they were they dropped out they're dechurched maybe they're people of a different religion altogether to behold the lord jesus and be changed and to be gathered in and presented to god as first fruits over 73% of the population of where we live is not regularly part of a gospel family By the way, the percentages are not that different here. And I have the privilege to say that God has gathered a core group for a new church, half comprised of unchurched friends. And some of those we have seen come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of it pretty dramatically. One man says... You understand, Harris, the fact that we're talking about this in the Bible is almost ridiculous because I never would have looked at the Bible a year ago. Or if I did, it would have been a nice piece of literature, but I never would have believed it. And Jesus is the Lord and He's my Savior now. Um, we're asking the Lord of the harvest to send us to people who are being opened. Now, I say that with gratitude. But I want you to understand something. That's not church planting. It's just part and parcel of the body of Christ, period. Here. It's part of of the mission of the church. What would it look like for this church family to be a first fruits mission in Talladega County? And in Sylacauga, in Childersburg, or Weagufka, or wherever. And when I pose that question, there's two things I want to say about that question. What would it look like for, for Nollwood to be a First Fruits community? Number one, because God has gifted you. And God has put you together. And I know from personal experience he has gifted you beautifully to be a part of this. I mean, I, I could be somewhere and say the same thing and I believe it, but I, you know, I might have that like 30% level of confidence about him. But I'm telling you, he has gifted, y'all. And it's not just your gifts, it's you yourselves. But I also would like to make this a topic of prayer and discussion. What would it look like, practically? The sky's the limit. What does it look like for for many of you to put yourselves out of a church outside the church bubble and into the field that God has called you? What does it look like to break new ground? What does it look like to to look for first fruits opportunities? Some of y'all have all kinds of different answers to that question, and they're probably worth hearing. And need to be listened to. Now, how does that happen? Really? Like, how could you, ex- why would you expect, I mean, Harris is being so, so optimistic and confident that we can be first fruits people? Why? Why could I be confident? Why could you? And that brings us to the fire of Pentecost. This is Jesus' promise of his Holy Spirit. He said it. I mean, he, he, he said it back in the first chapter, and he said it in the Gospels. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Theme verse for Acts. He gives these weird audio visuals. There's sound, the sound of a mighty rushing wind, which, throughout the Scriptures, is a is a is a visual, or I guess that's an audio, of the Holy Spirit. The the, the, the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, a wind happens, and then they say come together and make an army. Um, Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. It blows and you don't know where it's coming from, but you know that by his effects. But I actually want to focus on the visual, of the fire. Do you remember Moses? Again, God's putting a lot of Old Testament stuff into this passage. Moses and the burning bush that, that burned, yet it was not consumed. Take your, 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 your sandals off your on holy ground. Not because the dirt was holy, but because he was in the presence of the living God. And the way God manifested himself visually was through this. Fire burning, right? And you fast forward, same book of the Bible. In Exodus, Israel in the wilderness being led by the Lord God. But, but how did he manifest himself? Do you remember the, 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 the cloud, the pillar of, 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 of cloud and, or a pillar of by, uh, cloud by day, but by night a fire? And then they built the tabernacle. Is God's Old Testament mode of God dwelling with his people? And what happens? That cloud and that fire fills the temple and then fills the tabernacle. God's glory, God's fire comes down and inhabits. Now, where did all that go? Jesus came and he said, Destroy this temple in three days and I'll rebuild it. What was he doing? He's talking about himself. I am the presence of God in your midst, Jesus says. And then he dies. He's crucified in the place of sinners. And said, it is finished. And breathed his last. And then, with many other audio visuals, rose from the dead, leaving an empty tomb. And he appears and then... He ascends to heaven. Where is that temple? Where is the fire? You see, Jesus, if we could draw back the curtains and see, and see with the eyes of faith, it is the risen, glorified, salvation-accomplished Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. And from the ascended Jesus, the fire comes down into each of his people. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, vessels of divine fire. He is saying, I have come down to indwell you as a divine fire, not a destroying fire, but a purifying fire A forgiving fire. A life-giving fire. And a transforming fire. Brothers and sisters and friends, this is why the likes of you and me or friends of yours could take part in this new day, this Pentecost Day of Salvation. It's because God himself is at, Work and drawing near and coming down and coming in. And we know that because of his effects. Uh, Jane Paschal uh, is it like, makes uh, all of our children make many friends. Jane Paschal, um, who loves school the most, <laughs> Um. And she has introduced us to a lot of parents. So is Thomas and Sam. And I, I was la- I always laugh about this. Uh, one weekend, a well, span of a few days, um, is our our first fall uh, was fall before last Thanksgiving weekend. And my mother was in town, and we were we went to like Waffle House. And and Jane Paschal sees a friend of hers. You know, and I get, I get who was who mixed up. But, but it was like, you know, Charlie or something. And we, we go and we meet her family. And, and then we went to some antique store in West Monroe. Those, you know, those, it's one of those kind of like gift shop antique places that are just full of stuff that people buy. I'm like, can we go somewhere else? And, 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 and then she sees another friend, Hazel. And she goes and we meet Hazel's family. And then there was another place we went to. I can't remember where it was now, but it was another schoolmate. And I'm like, my goodness, I think this is our church planner right here, introducing us to all these people. Well, one of those families ends up being a part of our core group. They uh, dear friends. They they grew up in a church, but at some point, the religion game didn't really make sense. And kind of dropped out altogether. And just in God's providence and friendships being created, they have started being a part of. And we're discussing issues of the day. Things that, that uh, were social issues, issues of, of things that get discussed today like sexuality, and gender, and things that were, were, were stumbling blocks. And, in, and so we're looking at the Scriptures together. And in the midst of this, I kept connecting whatever we're talking about back to what we've been talking about in our core group, of this picture of, of God's sin-bearing Righteousness granting new life, grace in Jesus. And in the midst of it, much skittishness, right? it is, I don't know how to make sense of these other things, but that right there, if God can welcome me like that, that's what I desperately need and want can I really be forgiven? Can I be loved? Can I really find home with him? And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what was happening? God's love was being shed abroad into her heart through the Holy Spirit. A new embrace, maybe it was the first embrace of Jesus as he is offered and the divine fire washed forgiveness and new welcome and poured the love of God into their hearts. It was amazing. Why would anybody turn from anger unto Jesus Christ? Why would anybody turn from Addictions or enslaving grudges unto Jesus. Why would anybody turn from trying to control pain unto Jesus? There's a lot of reasons why we should turn from those things, those things are destructive. Those things will enslave you. That's true. But maybe the primary reason is because a Christian becomes a vessel of the divine fire, a purifying, never letting go, loving you to the end, life-giving fire. And maybe you need to hear this if your internal change, if my internal change was contingent upon my focus or my discipline at any given moment, man, that is a train wreck. But no one has a more vested interest in purifying you and remaking you than the Holy Spirit. And that is good news. It is God coming down and indwelling us that gives us the power to be a part of his gathering, And that brings us to the languages, which this is pretty rich, but we'll only skim the surface. What are the tongues going on here? You know, verse 4 um, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, and, and then in verse 5 and 6, you know, there are these people who are, are from all over the place. Uh, many of them are Jews, um, Jewish proselytes. Um, they, that, that is to say they, they weren't ethnically Jewish, uh, but they adopted Judaism. They, they come to believe in the Lord God. Um, maybe they were circumcised and all that. Um, uh, they're Jewish in belief and practice, yet ethnically they're from all over the place. And then many of them are Jews from all over the place as well, from what we now know as Iran and Iraq, uh, Rome, parts of Africa. And they're all hearing them speak in their native languages. And what are they hearing? In in verse 11, uh, at the end of it, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And that is just... Short code for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is both Lord and Messiah. What's the big event that's happening right here? And maybe the way to understand that is to think back to Genesis 11, you know, the Tower of Babel. Uh, Remember, they all spoke one language. They wanted to stay. God said, go scatter and multiply. But they all stayed in one place to make a name for themselves. And God comes down in judgment and confuses them, disperses them. And this is part of sin's curse. It's the the, the roots of the age-old curse of tribalism and racism that have always bruised the world. And Pentecost in Acts 2 is like the undoing. It's not the undoing of Babel. It's it's the healing, the redeeming of Babel. Because he doesn't make every ethnic group speak the same language. He, he, he He doesn't make them all speak Hebrew or Greek even. But they speak The gospel in different languages and different cultural, whatever, idioms. And they are gathering as one. It is a multi-ethnic gospel community, which is God's idea, as we seek to translate the gospel across any kind of division and line. Now, what does it have to do with us today? There's a lot of directions we could apply this but I really just want to focus it on one, maybe two things. It's this. It's simply this, that the word of the gospel is meant to be translated into your life and language and your story. And it doesn't make any difference where you're from. If somebody is from India or if somebody is from Holland's or Sylacauga, you know, there, there's I said India. There, there is an Indian family who's Hindu on our street and we befriended and, um, and, and Laura Beth and, and the, the mother have had this great connection and they've come and, and after the first time we had a gathering she called the next day and said thank you so much for, for teaching me about Jesus. I can't wait for next time. And Her English is only so good, so in a group setting it's kind of hard, but on -on one-on-one it's different. But, but, but thinking about the Bible, you know, and I was saying, you know, you you can get a Bible translation in your Telugu language, and remember her saying, "Oh, oh, um, no, 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 that's not good." Like, why is that? Because that would not be God's language, not my language. God wouldn't speak to me. It's not God language. You see, in Hindu, as I learned, you can only relate to God if you recite these mantras in his language, which would be Sanskrit, whether you understand Sanskrit or not. And I had the opportunity to say, what if God's language, the word of God, is not meant to be far off, but it's meant to be near you and in you and in your mouth and in your heart and in your language? And that was something that was a breakthrough of just a thought at least. Maybe God really would relate to me that way. Now, I use, that's a neat story, but I wonder if some of you might almost subconsciously say, you know, God and I don't speak the same language half the time. I I just don't even think he would even understand my words. I'm not sure I understand His. I don't think I could ever speak God's language. What if God is indeed desirous of exactly the thoughts and the words of your mouth and your heart? You see, Pentecost sets us on a outward-facing trajectory. Not only does God desire to speak to you in your language, but God desires us, and this is the flip side of it, to actually begin to be about other people's lives and stories and languages. An outward-facing way to live that we engage and incarnate and learn to witness the gospel to where people are. I have a friend who, uh, along with her husband, God is gathering into the, our core group, this emerging gospel community. And there's a resistance to church, kind of the I'm spiritual but not religious kind of thing. And with many views that are all over the place, and they don't line up with a lot of PCA views, Always antennas are up for for religious marketing. And because of people like Al Dayhoff and Burt Boykin, I'm like, wow, they're the most interesting tattoos all over your arms. And I notice they're all Hindu related. Can you tell me stories? no one's ever asked me to share stories behind my tattoos before ever I would love to do that and for two hours I listened and a lot of them were different religions that she had gone to she grew up in a Christian in a church and for various reasons there was some hurt and disconnect And she got older she just that's not my home it's not me and a lot of these were different religions that she had gone to, a lot of them Eastern religions. A lot of them uh, were uh, other uh, images of reflecting current revolutions in our world today, and, but dead ends of life also. Yeah, this, what, this did mean something to me, but you know what? I can't make sense of myself through that. Well, she didn't say that. I beginning to ask this question. Is, well, are these places you've gone to make sense of who you are and make sense of your hurts? And it's like, wow, I, I think so. And I'm afraid to come full circle to Christianity. But I'm trying to make sense. And so the very next weekend, we get really real with explaining the gospel that night. And things begin to happen. In other words, simply by listening and learning the image of God in another person, the gospel is coming to her turf and her story. And what happens is she, like all of us do, we begin to see... you you begin to see your part in God's part, in God's story. Why am I telling you this? Because our natural tendency is to kind of back ourselves into a church bubble and kind of protect ourselves from the quote-unquote big bad world. The Messiah has come. And and circling the wagons, that's a a babble-type response. So what do we do is we don't circle inward. We We move into the world. We go explore the wild that is right in front of us and around us with the gifting of the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. So let me just end this way. What is your personal plan of Pentecostal evangelism? By the way, it's an awesomely Presbyterian thing to say, believe it or not. What is your personal plan of Pentecostal evangelism? Here's what I want you to do. Think of one person. Actually, I want you to think of two people. One's yourself. But think of one person, maybe it's someone in your neighborhood, maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's school. Someone that, quote-unquote, man, that person can never become a Christian. Here's what I want you to do, two things. The first thing is for yourself. Why don't you take a deep breath. Inhale and exhale and call upon Jesus and simply hear him speak into your heart as a life giver and a forgiver. A fire giver. He has welcomed you. He's gathered you. He's washed you. He's forgiven you. He indwells you and makes home with you and in you. And He's teaching you a new language of love, a new language of grace. It's the language of the Holy One. Sometimes we're still learning, there's foreign words. But you're learning because he wants you to. Now, take that same experience and desire and desire that for that friend of yours. Commit to praying for them. Developing a relationship. Not not a bait and switch relationship. But simply that as you love that person in word and deed, God might, by His grace, create a bridge in that relationship. Because that is the harvest power of God. And you'll do that when Jesus becomes is precious to you. When He's gathered you. When He's welcomed you. When He's washed you. When He's ignited you with His fire. Consider that an invitation to breathe in Jesus. As He breathes life upon you. Amen. Father in heaven, would you cause the wind of your spirit to flow and blow fresh through us? In Christ's name.